if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, I want you to find Second Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, I was sitting back there with my wife last Wednesday night, and uh, I had received a call from Brother Derek, who's out of town, and he said, I really want you to do my class. I want you to leave my class. I really feel like it's of the Lord. It's okay. I did not know that he had already contacted Chuck, and Chuck had turned him down. But uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of S.M. Lockridge's story. He was uh, called one time to speak at the Southern Baptist Convention and said, Dr. Lockridge, we, we, we've, we've really prayed about it, and we've sought God's man. We, we, we really know what God wants and everything, and we've contacted that man. He can't come. Can you come? And uh, <laughs> so... But uh, I was sitting beside my wife and everything, and, and Brother Derek was up here, and he said, now next week we've got this speaker coming in, this special guy coming in. I, I really searched him out. I, you're going to enjoy him. This is the guy, and just made a rig build, build up. My wife turned to me and said, I thought he asked you to speak. <laughs> what a blessing, amen? Pray with us. Father, thank you so much for laughter. Thank you for our spirit that invades this place and lifts our hearts. And it's the middle of the week, but you're still God. You're still reigning and ruling over the affairs of men. By you, all things consist. And as we go into your precious word tonight, open our hearts, illumine our minds, give us clarity of speech, clarity of thought, clarity of hearing that, God, we might truly reap all the blessings that you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I, uh, if you've been watching our devotions uh, each morning, we have been going through Second Corinthians chapter 1, talking about the God of all comfort. And the Apostle Paul makes this statement in chapter number 1. He says, the God who comforted us in all of our trials, he is the God of consolation. And... Uh, there are times in the Christian life where all you've got's God. You don't understand what I'm saying. Sometimes even your wife is not on your side. Sometimes. Sometimes you can't find anyone who thinks you're right. Sometimes it almost seems like you want to throw up your hands and walk away. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you can't quit. In fact, what we're going to be looking at tonight is the life of the Apostle Paul. And in chapters two, 1, 2, and 3, Paul is writing a letter. By the way, Second Corinthians is actually the third letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, and he's defending his ministry. There have been those who have attacked the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine attacking the Apostle Paul? Uh, and he has to come back and he has to answer these accusations that the Jews are, are leveling against him. In fact, they went so far to say that the Apostle Paul was crazy. And if you've got your Bible right there, he says over here in the last part of uh, chapter 5, we'll not turn there, I've got so much things to do, but in chapter 5 and verse number 13, here's what he said. 
He says, for whether we be beside ourselves, it's to God. And, and that little statement there, whether we be beside ourselves, they were saying, Paul, you're crazy. You have gone mad. Much learning hath made thee mad. And Paul said, well, if I'm mad, it's all for the glory of God. If, I, if I've gone crazy, if I'm a lunatic, and I thought about something Brother Derek told me years ago, or several years ago now, he and I were talking, and he said, when I get to heaven, the Lord may say to me, Derek, you made way too much of me. But the one thing he's not going to say is, Derek, you didn't make enough of me. And that's what Paul's saying in this verse of Scripture. He said, if I'm beside myself, it's for the glory of God. But that wasn't the only thing that they said against him. Not only did they say he was mad, uh, they told him that he was really going too far, that he needed to relax. He needed to, to, you know, throttle back a little bit, let somebody else begin to carry the burden that he was, bear- what, that he was carrying. Uh, in fact, because of the persecution that he had been facing and everything, there were some that actually wanted him to just quit. You've done enough. Just quit. And so what we find in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Second Corinthians is the Apostle Paul responding to that. And listen to what he says in verse number 1 of chapter number 4. And Sister Janice is going to put all these up on the board. I gave her so many scriptures, and she's going to do her very best to keep up with me. And I have promised not to walk all over the stage and mess everybody up, okay? So, but in chapter 4, and verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And that little phrase, we faint not, is better interpreted in our day and time as, I'm just not going to quit. You'll find it again if you look down in verse number 16, chapter 4 and verse number 16, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for which cause we faint not. And though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That word faint that's used there. It's the same one that's used up in verse number 1, and it is the same one that he would use when writing to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, this is what he wrote. He says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Thayer in his Greek lexicon of New Testament words gives us word pictures that helps us to understand the Greek language. And the Greek language is so much more colorful than what our English language is. The word that he's using here, the word faint, actually carries with it a word picture of, of, of a ship that's sitting in the bay. And, and it's loaded down with cargo, and, and all of the men are on board, and, and the anchor has been weighed, and they're ready to go, but... They took the sails down. And the ship cannot do what it is supposed to do because the sails are down. It also carries the word picture, if you will, of a soldier. And he's out there in the field and the enemy is approaching. 
But rather than getting ready to fight the battle, he reaches up and he unstrings his bow. He's literally, even though he's had all the training and all of that, he's not going to fight. Paul uses that word and in so doing, he tells us that he has no intention of quitting. He has no intention of removing the sails. He has no intention of ever unstringing the bow. And then in chapter 5, he continues on by sharing with us reasons why he just will not quit. And this is my encouragement for you tonight. I I want you to think about this in your uh, area of expertise or your area of labor. Whatever you're doing for the Lord, you may not understand it. You may not comprehend it. You may not realize it. But God is using you to reach someone else. Notice what he says in verse number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. He says, wherefore we labor. This is the reason that we're working. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I'm just going to break this news to you, okay? Everything we do in the Christian life is for him. It, it, it's not about us. It never has been about us. It never has been about the pats on the back. It never has been about self-exaltation. It never has been the accolades of individuals that keep the Christian army marching forward. It is this one thing. What we are doing, present or absent, whether we're working here on this earth or where we're graduated to glory and standing in his presence, present or absent, we may be accepted by him. Now, notice what he says, and this is the first one I want to share with you. The reason that you and I cannot quit what we're doing, even though we may get tired, even though we may have little age, and I'm looking around at the congregation and... Uh, We've got a little age. <laughs> that does not mean we get... Somebody brought, came by a while ago and everything and said, uh, he's retired. I hate that, don't you? Now, some of you said, well, I've been working my whole life to get to retirement. Not me. I, in fact, I was sharing with Brother Chuck the other day in office. I said, please, don't tell anybody I'm retired. Tell them that I just used to work here and I don't work here anymore. Let them decide what they want. Retired cares with it that connotation of I'm not doing what I used to do. And dear friend, that cannot be further from the truth. You and I are to continue on until the day that we finish our task. We are to continue on for the glory of the Lord. Regardless of where we find ourselves, we are continuing on for the glory of the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. And then verse number 10 The first thing he mentions here, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according as he hath done them, whether it be good or bad. The first motivation that Paul gives us for doing what he's doing is the fact that he realizes that one day he's going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's going to stand before the throne of God. He mentions this in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, he says, One day all of the, st- of the saved are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, no excuses on that day. Uh, John two twenty five, the word of God says, He needeth not that any would testify of man because he knows what's in man. He knows your heart. He knows your abilities. He knows your desires. As you began to look at what is said in verse number 10, you'll notice first and foremost the place of the assembly. The Bible said it's the judgment seat of Christ. The word literally in the Greek is bima. It it is a reward, if you will. It's a picture of the Greek games where people who have run in the race would come and stand before the judge and they would receive a laurel for participating. The judge watched with all diligence as each one of the runners participated in the race. And whether you realize it or not tonight, dear friend, the judge is watching with all diligence. He's seeing every moment of every day. He sees every second that he has given you. And the word of God tells us that it is accounted of a steward that he must be found faithful but not only the place of the assembly notice the people who are assembled verse number 10 he says but we must all appear you know some folks think that it's just going to be the preachers (laughs) that stand before the lord oh no dear friend every born again child of god is going to have his turn as he stands before the lord and he gives an account For the way that he has used the tools that God has given him to do ministry with. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says that we're to be accountable. What has God placed within your keeping? We're very quick to covet that which belongs to another. Oh, if I could just preach, if I could just sing, if I could just do this, if I could just do that. Well, what can you do? Whatsoever thou doest, doeth heartily as unto the Lord. What if your only ability is cleaning? Do that for the glory of the Lord. What if if your gift to the church is to stand in the foyer and smile at people when they come to church? Don't you love those people? I walk in on Sunday morning and I see these smiles and I know I'm terrible. Forgive me for this. First thing runs through my mind. I wonder what they're up to. <laughs> but they're loving their kind. Don't you love that? I walk through these doors on Sunday morning and there's this guy. He, hey, brother. Bill. Man, I, I'm excited about being here. He's using his giftedness for the glory of God. Now, you've been gifted as well. And one day, you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to give an account of what he placed in you for his glory. Again, the Word of God tells us that the cause for this assembly, look at verse number 10, is to receive either good or bad. I love the quote out of 1 Corinthians. Paul the Apostle wrote this as well, beginning in verse number 11. He says, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's our foundation. That's where we get in at. That, that's salvation. Say amen right there. It doesn't matter what we do. If we don't have that, we're messed up. You've got to have that solid foundation, that, that, that rock upon which we stand, that, that Christ. And having him as a foundation, verse number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and that word if is big there, because there are some that once they got saved, they never built anything. They just checked out and went on. Listen to what he says. If any man build upon this foundation gold and silver and precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work is going to be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Listen to this. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I've been around Christians for some time now. And I have met those who carry the attitude, well, just as long as I get into heaven, you know, just build me a cabin in the darkest corner of heaven. Uh, There are no cabins in heaven. And there are no dark corners in heaven. Well, preacher, just as long as I can, that's all that matters to me. Just as long as I make it, really? How would you like to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ? All of your works have been burned up. The wood, the hay, and the stubble cast into the fire. You live for yourself. You live for your pleasure. You live for your worldly desires and the lust of the flesh. And all of that burned up. And all you've got is the foundation of Christ. You say, well, long as that's, that would be wonderful. Really? What about your children? You left them no example to follow whatsoever. And now they've gone off into an eternal hell. Is it important? That you build gold and silver and precious jewels for the glory of God. Is it important that you live a life that people know that you're a Christian? Yes. Why? Because the day is going to come when you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to give to every man according to their labor, according to their work, either good or bad. And if that was the only thing Paul said in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, that would have been enough. Can I get an amen right there? But that's not all. He goes further to say in verse number 11, he says, not only do I realize that one day I'm going to stand before the glory of God and give an account of my life, but one day, he says, listen, he says, the reason I keep on going, the reason I will not take my sails down, the reason that I will not unstring my bow, verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There's this persuading thing that we need to address. Uh, The Bible says, you'll remember over in Jesus doing the speaking, he talked about in the Luke's 16th chapter about a, a man that died and went to hell. You remember the story? And he's in hell and he says, Father Abraham, 
Would you send Lazarus that he may come and dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? Because I'm tormented in this flame. And uh, Abraham says, son, there's a guff fixed between us and you. And those that would come from you to us can't. And those that would go from us to you, we can't do that either. He says, well, listen, I'll tell you what, Father Abraham. How about sending him to my father's house? Because I've got five brethren and I don't want them to come to this place of torment. And Abraham says, well, they got, you know, they've got Moses. They've got the law. Let them hear them. And, and the rich man in hell says, oh, no. But if one rose from the dead, then they would be persuaded. Same word. Persuaded. Paul is reasoning of righteousness and judgment to come. And the governor looks at him and says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The word literally means choice. And so Paul says in verse number 11, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that everybody I meet knows they've got a choice. Why, Paul? Because I know about the terror of the Lord. You see, all men die. Unless the rapture comes, everybody in this building is going to die. That's that fact that we try to forget. One out of every one person dies. But only those who have Jesus go to heaven. Not to a better place. God forbid. You either have Jesus or you don't. John chapter 14, verse number 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, if they don't go to the Father, where do they go? There's only one other choice. Either going to heaven or you're not. And the option is hell. In fact, the Bible tells us, Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Listen, and they have no rest day or night. At the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, we call it. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 12. He says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead are judged out of those things that are written in the books according to their works. No grace here. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake that's burning with fire and brimstone. Paul said, I know this. Doesn't it, doesn't it make your soul shudder to think that your children might be damned for eternity? doesn't it make you quiver sometimes, stay up at night, pray all night sometimes, when you think about the fact that your grandchildren may die and spend an eternity in a place where the Word of God says, the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. A place where John wrote in Revelation 14, 11, that the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and that they never have a day of rest or peace. Paul said, 
The reason I can't unstring the bow, the reason I can't take down the sails, I know what happens to people when they die without Jesus. And as long as I've got breath, I'm going to keep telling them about Christ. Because I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. You know the desire of the Lord is for all men to be saved? You say, preacher, I know some of them. I, I just don't know if the Lord wants them or not. Oh, no, the Lord wants them all. In fact, the Bible tells you that, 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 9, the Bible says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should die. And if I'm going to be like the Lord... If the Lord is not willing for any to die and go to hell, then am I going to be like him? Then I also have to carry that same burden. And I have to have a desire to see people saved, but that they, according to the word of God, that not willing that any should perish, but they would all come into repentance. You ever thought about this? The reason Jesus died is because you were lost. Yeah. You began to read the first chapters of the book of Romans and it starts talking about the wrath of God. And then you read about how Jesus died. The preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness, but to us who are saved, it's the, it's the power of God, it's the power of life. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse number 8 that God commended, God sent forth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) Yeah, you were just as lost as anybody ever was lost. And God the Father sent his son to die for you on the cross. And then in John's gospel, the 16th chapter, Jesus said, if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But when he is coming to you, he will convict the world of sin. And so he sent his Holy Spirit to come and to convict you of your vile lifestyle and tell you how much you need a Savior. And you responded to that. According to John chapter 6, verse number 44, no man cometh unto the Son unless the Father draws him. He drawed you. And you got saved. And God wants everybody saved. And Paul said, I can't quit. There's too many lost people around here to quit. Y'all heard about the the guy that was going down to the Congo to sell shoes. And he sent a, a letter back to the home office. He said, bring me home at once. Nobody down here wears shoes. So they sent a replacement down there. In about three weeks, the replacement sent a message back. And he said, send me all the shoes you got. Nobody down here wears shoes. Look at our world. You cannot go to Walmart or Winn-Dixie or wherever you go. You can't go to the park and walk around the park without being surrounded by people that are lost. Have you seen them like that yet? Have you been to the ball field to see the boys playing football and wonder how many of those young men out there are lost and headed to a devil's hell? 
Have you been to the little peewee games and watched the parents on the sidelines? Sometimes that's really comical. And you wonder, wonder how many of these people really know Jesus. Paul said, I can't unstring my bow because I know the terror of the Lord. I know what awaits a person if they die without Jesus. Let me give you another one. Look at verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 14. That's what he says. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And he died for all that they which live, listen, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Deal with the last part of the verse first. He says that the life we live because we are saved We need to be living for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to die for me. You You should be living for the glory of the Lord. But then look at the first part of the verse. He says, the love of Christ constraineth me. Paul never got over the fact that the Lord loved him. It kind of blowed my mind just to be honest about it. Not that he loved Paul, but that he loved me. That he would actually love me enough to send his son to die in my place. The word constraineth that's used here in the King James Version of the Bible is another one of those wonderful little Greek words. It is the Greek word sunnaho, S-U-N-N-A-H-O, sunnaho. And the word literally has a dual meaning. The constraineth part of it, he says, because I'm a born-again child of God, I'm living for the glory of God, there's some things I just will not do. Are there some things because you love the Lord that you will not do? Maybe some places you will not go. Maybe some some people you just really don't want to be around. Maybe you're going to witness to them, but that's about as far as you want to take. Paul said, because of the love of the Lord, there are some things the love of the Lord constraineth me. Some things I'm not going to do. But it also has that other side, that flip side of the meaning. He says, because the love of the Lord, there's some things that I'm not going to stop doing. I just, I can't stop doing them. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Some things I just got to keep on doing, amen? For me, I I, got to keep on preaching. Every time somebody calls on the telephone, I'm ready. Amen. I want to go. You're looking at somebody that is desiring a place to preach this Sunday. Hello? I was at a funeral the other day. I booked two meetings. Hello? Why? That's what he's called me to do. I love him. And I want to express my love to him by doing exactly what he's called me to do. 
I know it's 33 minutes after the hour. Can I give you a couple others real quick and then we'll be through? I'm going to whether you say yes or no. So. <laughs> you talk a whole lot about this fact that he loved us. In fact, uh, 1 John four nineteen, the Bible says that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Isn't that good? And then Ephesians 3 and 19, the apostle Paul wrote this. He said that you might know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then John wrote it this way. First John chapter three, verse number one, behold. And the word literally means to stop and think, to look at with all amazement. Behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called the sons of God? What did we do to deserve this? Absolutely nothing. The love of God manifested in our life. Paul, why don't you quit? Why don't you unstring your bow? Why don't you take your your sails down? Preacher, I can't do that. Why? One day I'm going to stand and give an account before him. I can't do that, preacher, because I realize that when men die without Jesus, they're going to face the terror of the Lord. I can't do that because I've got a grip on how much he loved me. Here's the fourth thing. I can't. Keep from doing what I'm doing because I see manifested in individuals that get saved a change that is undeniable. Look what he says in verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, you know it, he is a new creature. Hallelujah. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are made New. What a change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I've often wondered how many times Paul experienced that transformation. We're told of several in the Bible. To me, the one that, that I like the best is Acts, the 16th chapter. You remember the old Philippian jailer? And Paul has cast the little, uh, the demon out of the little demon-possessed girl. And because of that, they beat him. And they put him in the inner prison, put his feet fast in the stock. And they told the jailer, you watch him. He's, you, you know, if he gets out, it's on you. And so Paul and Silas are there at midnight. And they began to sing praises unto God. And the word of God says that there was an earthquake. I believe God clapped his hands, Okay. <laughs> I think he liked what he was hearing. And then the word of God says the other prisoners heard them. And the jailer waking out of his sleep, thinking that the prisoners had all escaped, knowing that it would cost him his life. He was about to kill himself. And Paul cries out, do thyself no harm. How did Paul know he was about to kill himself? It was dark. And so the jailer calls for light. And he comes in before Paul and Silas. And it's the only place in all the word of God where the question is asked just like this. Acts chapter 16, verse number 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the Philippian jailer. This is the one who'd been probably beaten on them, put their feet fast in stocks. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 16, verse number 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And evidently he did. 
Because the Bible says that very hour he took them out of the prison, took them to his house, put food before them. He fed them and and probably dressed their wounds. Can't you see him there? He's got a bowl and some cotton or maybe or or, or, or towel of some sort. And he's dobbing those those where that whip fell across their back and opened their back and those wounds. And, and he, maybe he's crying a little bit. And he said, Paul, I'm sorry. I shouldn't hit you this hard. And he and his family got saved. wonder how many times Paul witnessed that transformation. Paul, why don't you quit? I can't quit. Why not? You just ought to see what happens to people when they get saved. I've got a wonderful story I could tell you, but I don't, I'm not going to. One last thing. I do. I, listen, God has blessed us to see some wonderful transformations in our ministry. Uh, one of the meetings I booked at the funeral the other day was an old boy that's in the ministry now. He's got his doctor's degree. He's pastoring a church down in uh, central Florida, used to sell dope off his front porch. And we went by because his mama called us and asked us to go by, and we led him to the Lord. And God did a transformation in that young man's life. He's not a young man anymore. And by the way, he's grown. He's got five kids. Of those five, three of them are boys. And of the three boys, two of them are pastors. Yeah, God can do that. God can do that. There's another thing here, and we're going to close with this. Verse number 18, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The Bible says this. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and he hath committed unto us this word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Paul, why don't you quit? I can't. Why not? You see, God's commissioned to me. God gave me a a, a place. He could have told the birds to sing salvation story and you'd have woke up every morning and you'd have heard it till you got tired of hearing it. He could have commissioned the stars to blink it out every night. You'd see salvation story wrote in the heavens, but he didn't do that. God chose men to share the gospel story, to tell other people What God has done for them. One of my heroes made this statement. He said soul winning is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where he found the piece of bread. Isn't that awesome? Paul said I've been commissioned. I'm his ambassadors. Listen to what he prayed. Jesus prayed this in John's gospel, the 17th chapter and 16th verse. Tremendous prayer. But this is what he said. He said as thou hast sent me into the world... Even so, I also sent them into the world. Paul said it this way. As Christ was in the world, reconciling the world unto himself, making their record right, he has sent you and I into the world. 
to reconcile the lost souls to be right with God. We are his ambassadors. Romans 10, 14, he wrote this. He said, how shall they call upon him in whom they've not, heard, and they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Days going to come, hopefully in my lifetime, when all the ambassadors are going to get called home. You know, that's the way it happens. If we're going to have war with another country, we always call our ambassadors home first. And before my Lord comes to declare war on this earth, I'm he can call me home. Amen. I'm one of his ambassadors. That means I represent Christ in the world in which I live. We work to negotiate treaties between the sinful heart of man and the righteous heart of God. We are to be in this ministry of reconciliation. Why don't you quit, Paul? Why don't you just take your sails down? You're kind of crazy. And you've been working real, real hard. You've been in prison. You've been shipwrecked. Get over in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He's going to list a whole lot of things that he went through for the cause. They said, why don't you just let up a little bit? I can't do it. One day I'm going to stand before him. Wherefore I labor, whether present or absent, I may be accepted of him. What's your motivation for being a Christian? Can you quit? Can you unstring your bow? Can you take down your sails? Are you like Paul? Have you just got to keep on going? Because when you realize the love of God, the terror of the Lord, the change he makes in men, the fact that you've been called to be an ambassador, and the fact that one day you'll stand before him and give an account of your stewardship, doesn't it make you want to suit up and get back out there? Father, thank you for your word tonight. I pray we've been a blessing to somebody. It may very well be that tonight somebody was here in the church and They've been going through some stuff. And Satan's really been camped out around them and beating them up pretty rough. And they were just about to the point of saying, well, what's it worth? Why keep on keeping on? Nobody else is. Sometimes we're like old Elijah sitting under that juniper tree. We say, Lord, we're the only ones you got left. But they came tonight. And they've heard the word of God. And I pray it's been an encouragement to their heart, to their life.